Welcome to MMO, the Mike Mike and Oscar show. They cover films then, win the gold, but now we're talking picks up films for all of these shows. From Toy Story 1 up through Toy Story 4, this is the MMO, the Pixar Rewatch Show. And we're back. Thank you, Mr. Newman, once again for that intro. This is another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host, also Mike. Also Mike here <laughs> with my brogue. Are you at all Scottish or Irish? No, here's the thing. Yeah. So, no. Okay. By, you know, talking to my family. But then mom got her, like, genetic scanned or whatever that... Uh, like the... what? Yeah. 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 She uh, sent it out, sent out a drop of her blood. And yeah. she's like... Oh my god, I'm 7.4% Anglo or whatever. <laughs> we thought we were mostly Italian. Yeah. And she she found out that she I am from the Netherlands. I like think it's all bullshit is what I think. It's just one big racketeer. Yeah. It's just yeah. a guy in a Here's lab everything. somewhere just printing out just things. Trying to make white collecting people. people's bloods and saliva yeah, for his own collection. There's no way. There's no way it's true. Uh that's all a long way of saying that we are doing another <laughs> entry into our Pixar rewatcher today we are reviewing the movie brave from 2012 probably like an unheralded pixar movie not one that i had seen prior to this rewatch boy am i glad we're doing this for this reason because oh, yeah. i have some high things and high marks to say about it but uh, if you've not joined us before for an entry into our pixar rewatch series this is our ninth entry we are covering all 20 plus films of pixar in the lead up to toy story 4 which comes out in about a month from now actually exactly one month from when we're recording this it'll toy story 3 4 i'm sorry will be out june 24th and what we are doing is like i said we're reviewing every Pixar films. Every entry into this Pixar rewatch series covers a franchise of Pixar's. Every episode is broken down into two parts. We have the non-spoiler section in the first half of each of these episodes. So if you've not seen these movies yet, don't worry. We're not going to spoil them for you in the first half of all these episodes. That's what we talk about the box office, the specs, the production values. And then we have a spoiler warning and the second half is all spoiler filled. What differentiates these episodes from our Oscar sprint profiles is in the first half in the non-spoiler section of all these Pixar entries uh, we're talking about the the Pixar company, where it is, where it was in terms of all these movies' releases, kind of what brought them to where they are at this point in history, little snapshots of them in time. In the spoiler section, we are concentrating on the 22 rules of screenwriting success that Pixar had released a couple years ago that have permeated their way throughout screenwriting classes across the country. All of that is a long-winded way of saying this is chock full of information. Yeah, you were long-winded today. For <laughs> I'm usually the one that's long-winded. I wonder if you, that's because you like this movie and you yeah. want to be more thorough. Probably. Or that's because you just haven't spoken to anybody in a few days. Most, both A and B, yeah. <laughs> but the way we start these episodes in the non-spoiler section for Brave is Mike's going to run down the cast and crew right uh directed by mark andrews brenda chapman and steve purcell chapman came from disney animation studios notice notably as a story supervisor on the lion king and beauty and the beast uh, andrews comes from animation departments as a storyboard artist on star wars the clone wars samurai jack as well as the iron giant before jumping over to pixar with brad bird we talked about him in the uh, incredibles pod mm-hmm. and purcell is best known from this animated series Sam and Max and and he comes over to Pixar for this particular film so three directors I know you're going to have a lot on uh, two of them soon in the history of Pixar segment 
The cast, Mike, we have Kelly McDonald from Train Spotting, where we first met. Gosford Park. I think the second most popular go to Scottish actress in Hollywood is doing on a day to day basis. Because when these roles come up, the first call is Kelly McDonald, right? It's Kelly McDonald. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the Train Spot, her in Train Spotting, she was so iconic. Yeah. In those sure. early 2000s. Th- I loved her in that movie. And then she was on like all the posters. We all had crushes on her. She's awesome. Had. No Country for Old Men <laughs> and Boardwalk Empire are also two standout highlights yes. of her career. She plays the protagonist, Merida, in this movie. Now, she is 30-something here, mm-hmm. and Merida is, what, 12, 11? Yeah, playing like a teen. I would have thought teenager, but yeah, something about like that. she's great, and it just pulls it off like crazy. So, great job, Kelly McDonald. Billy Connolly from the Boondock Saints and the Hobbit movies plays Merida's father, Fergus. Or Fergus, excuse me. Uh, and playing Merida's mother, Eleanor, we have two-time Oscar winner from Sense and Sensibility and Howard's End, and from this year's Late Night, Emma Thompson. Now, Emma Thompson, British, British. right? Not Scottish. Got the brogue work. Yeah, she, yeah, she, she, she pulled off job. a decent accent. Uh, Molly Weasley from Harry Potter, that's Julie Walters, she plays the witch. Mm. Hagrid from Harry Potter, that's Robbie Coltrane. How about I go through life with a name like Robbie Coltrane? I actually thought that was like a rock star name. Like he should be like on the yeah. top 40 somewhere. He's just the man. He Robbie the- Coltrane. He's just like, <laughs> uh, coming up in the 70s. And he's like, oh, what's a cool ass name? You think that's a stage for, name? Yeah. yeah. Robbie Coltrane, are you kidding me? Nobody's that lucky, is what you're saying. <laughs> Uh, he plays Lord Dingwall, which is a great ah, regular. Almost name. the exact opposite. <laughs> Grey's Anatomy's Kevin McKidd and uh, comedian and the Late Late Show's Craig Ferguson are Craigie. both in this. Yeah. And, and then we have, of course, the mustache from Cheers, John Ratzenberger, voicing characters. Yeah, a very small role for Ratzenberger. I think he only has one line. This he's like holding movie. the door and he's just he's, like, he's Hodor, you can't yeah. come in. <laughs> he's Hodor for this village. Can we come in? Yeah, can't. <laughs> That's the cast, Mike. You got some uh, history for us. Yeah, all right. So, look, we have done, like I said, this is our ninth entry into this rewatch series right now, right? And the Pixar brand has remained overly positive. It seems like an okay place to work, if nothing else. It seems like it's run by people that seem to know what they're doing, that actually genuinely seem to care about people and care about the product. So, it took us until entry number nine and 2012, picture number, I think, what, 13? Yeah. But we finally hit kind of a black mark that I don't know that gets talked about nearly enough in Hollywood circles. Pixar was cosplaying as Marvel before Marvel was Marvel in the cinematic world. A giant success that was only capable of churning out hits and making ungodly amounts of money. It also was a predecessor to Marvel and the MCU in that it took way too long for the brand to feature a film with a leading female character and get a female in the director's chair. Now, while the MCU still awaits the latter there. Merida, Merida, however you want to pronounce it, would be their Captain Marvel of the Pixar brand, as finally, on its 13th film, the company would roll out a film featuring, focused on, and centered around a female protagonist. Now, the reason this came to be was due to the director, Brenda Chapman. Mike already name-dropped her once, who not only was credited with the creation of the story of the film, but also would be the first female director in Pixar's history. She was a big wig in the Disney company before this, like Mike said, working on The Lion King. Mm -hmm. So, uh, it's kind of a a two-headed monster here congratulations bravo mrs chapman for breaking that glass ceiling and wtf pixar what took you so long to turn to women here 
Well, Braid gets credited as another first for the company, as Wikipedia cites that this is Pixar's first fairy tale with the morals and lessons of the story playing out in a fictitious world through the use of magic and consequence, all of which is clearly at play here. So this should be the part in the story where I go on to talk about what a success, albeit a delayed one, the film was and how Pixar finally got it right and being with pride over how it put a woman in the driver's seat finally and saw her vision through to completion. Yay, yay, yay. Unfortunately, that's not how this particular fairy tale would end. Chapman, who created the story in part based on her own real-life relationship with her daughter, was actually removed from the project altogether by John Lasseter himself sometime in 2010 or early 2011, depending on which source you want to believe. Mm -hmm. Now, Chapman was not, not a Pixar lifer, having, like I said, previously worked for not only Disney, the animation studio, but also Pixar competitor DreamWorks in directing The Prince of Egypt, and we've discussed how much of a closed-knit community Pixar tends to be, relying on similar faces over and over and choosing to promote from within rather than bring in outsiders. And in fact, when Chapman was replaced, the director's chair was handed over to longtime Pixar man Mark Andrews. Now maybe, maybe that was the entire reason why. Maybe the, quote, creative differences that John Lasseter and the company cited that arose between Pixar's head and Chapman was wholly the reason with which she found herself replaced during production. However, the breadcrumbs would suggest to lead to a different conclusion. Chapman wasn't just replaced on the film. She left Pixar altogether once being removed. And while she's never, at least that I could find, come directly out and gone step by step through what exactly happened at the end of production of Brave, uh, she's left enough quotes for a picture to start to form around it. The first of which came out in 2012 in an interview with Entertainment Weekly. In the first quotes Chapman gave at all since departing Pixar where she seemed to hint at her sex playing a role in her removal, stating, quote, sometimes women express an idea and are shot down only to have a man express essentially the same idea and have it broadly embraced. The tea leaves didn't stop there, though, as a few years later, Disney animator Lionel DeSalvo went on and on and on about the difficulties of animating a female protagonist for Disney Animation Studios' picture Frozen before it came out. This prompted a controversy of its own, as instead of speaking from his own perspective about what it means to be a man and how that could cause a hardship in relating to a female character directly, DeSalvo instead decided to speak, as far too often men in Hollywood positions do, about what he saw as the main challenges were to being a woman altogether. Quote, Historically speaking, animating female characters are really, really difficult because they have to go through these range of emotions, but they're very, very, you have to keep them pretty and they're very sensitive to, you can get them off a model very quickly. So having a film with two hero female characters was really tough and having them both in the scene and look very different if they're echoing the same expression, that Elsa looking angry looks different from Anna being angry, dot, dot, dot. So in response to this quote, which I got directly from Drew Taylor's article for Slash Film, Time Magazine actually went to Chapman for a response knowing that she had been removed from this picture brave, wanting to get her thoughts on this now-playing-out controversy regarding Disney and Frozen. Chapman said that the animation industry as a whole at the top levels is, quote, run by a boys' club, and then described the difficulties she encountered on the set of Brave, which were essentially things that we here at MMO pound the table over often. Chapman, a woman, wanted to portray women in Brave as true to life as she recognized them. She wanted to give middle-aged women accurate, age-appropriate 
features and put her truth as a woman into the characters in the film. Men, in her view, interfered. She cited instances of the aforementioned boys club claiming that a princess shouldn't look a certain way even when they were upset, or that a certain physical feature of a middle-aged woman would be off-putting if done the way in which Chapman insisted. So in short, and in summary, Chapman wanted to bring a true-to-life female's perspective to a film featuring predominantly female characters, and after stepping down from the project and away from the company altogether, she left insinuations suggesting that some men may have stepped in and kept her from doing so, whether due to the bottom line considerations or potentially just good old-fashioned sexist reasons. This film was still a success, we'll get to that in specs, but it's a sad story that's only exacerbated by the allegations regarding John Lasseter's treatment and respect towards women, which have surfaced in the past year. Plus, a firm reminder that even in what seem like the purest corners of Hollywood, there unfortunately still may be sexism and abuse that need overcoming and exposing. I wanted to let you get through all that and present it the way you needed to there. It makes a lot of sense, just pictures in my mind as you're going through that, I picture the supporting cast of all the Disney animated films, mm. and the queen mother is usually as just as pretty as right. the princess, except maybe a gray hair. One of the quotes that Chapman did put out was that she wanted to make Eleanor in this movie have what she thought was a realistic backside, and the animators came down on her and said it looked way too big and would be too distracting and have too big of a rear end and too big of a thighs for a cartoon and middle-aged yet, woman. Brad Bird pulled it off with. I mean, Funny she, thing about that, huh? And now Mrs. Incredible is a sex symbol, yeah. And but, you know, God forbid, Eleanor is a little older in age as a character. But they'll go, like, full old lady, like, the, they'll sure. go the old hag witch, yeah. always in these Disney movies. So they'll have, like, the maid or the, mm-hmm. the nanny there. She's buxom and, and older it's and fine. It's tough if you want to take Pixar's view and say that Chapman is has sour grapes... I think it's tough to kind of die on that hill when you see, like you say, the history of how these characters are portrayed historically. Uh, just by recollection, just by looking at these casts, she's yeah. like dead on. Right. She's absolutely dead on, and, and, it, and it makes sense. And maybe maybe the guys don't realize that they're doing it, but if she's bringing up those, you know, or maybe they hadn't in the past, let's say, because, sure. all right, everybody idealizes, mm-hmm. right? And maybe that, that's, that was a blind spot for a short time. But once it starts getting out there that, all right, hey, this is ridiculous. I think in a backwards way, too, it kind of highlights how far... I mean, this was only seven, eight years ago this happened, right? Mm -hmm. And yes, it shouldn't have happened then. It probably shouldn't happen anymore. But if if you look at... If this story happened today... Yeah. I mean, the outrage would be tenfold. There's no way Pixar can get away with this. But, you, yeah, it's Eleanor basically looks like uh, a taller Merida. Yeah, right. That's, that's true. Yeah. I mean, she's, again, it's tough to take Pixar's side and say that this is just sour grapes on the pa- behalf of Chapman, I think. Yeah, I, I would agree. So, anyway, (laughs) like I said, it's been, you know, this is our ninth episode. It's been mostly glowing things about the company, but I think it's also an important lesson that Pixar is still a gigantic corporation. Disney is still a giant Hollywood corporation primarily run by men. So these issues don't go away regardless of how wholesome and unique and, and, you know, kid-oriented their aim may be. Sure, that makes sense. 
Well, I got a couple production nuggets here. Uh, just two quick things. Reese Witherspoon had been uh, on the movie for the longest time. She had perfected her Scottish accent. Ah. Uh, this was when her career was really taken off yeah. at the end of the 2000s. And she had to back out because you just got too many movies to do. And Kelly McDonald was the last cast member added to the voice acting. Oh, movie. so I was very wrong. I said she was the first call, but she was the last. <laughs> well, they, they hired the American <laughs> actress to do the Scottish right. accent. I guess in that regard, and of course, they took a nice field trip. They t- they went to the Scottish Highlands. They drew up every plant and tree, and they they studied the history back when bears. Mark Andrews is high fiving yeah. Pete Doctor and Brad Bird, and meanwhile Andrew Stanton is just like kicking rocks. Uh, yeah, at a dump somewhere, a dump yeah. site somewhere. These other guys are just frolicking in the Highlands. Uh, but yeah, it, uh, Andrews had a ball when he when he took the crew out there, and uh, he's quoted as saying, "Whether you know anything about Scotland or not, you'll feel like you do after you watch Brave." Unquote. And it does. It does yeah. have a distinct look to it. It does look. Although like I would say it's more, you know, it's in the forest. It's like any other magical forest for that part, anyway. You know what I mean? Looks like Highlander. Yeah. <laughs> all right, that's fine. Highlander, <laughs> Outlander. I'll, t- I'll take your word for it. <laughs> Looks like all the landers. <laughs> I can't stop. Uh, yeah, at some point. <laughs> Mike, you got some specs. Specs for Braves, written by Brenda Chapman. She gets a story by credit. Mike told you that already. Mark Andrews, Steve Purcell, Brenda Chapman, and Irene Mechie each get screenplay by credits, directed by Mark Andrews, Brenda Chapman. They get the directed by credit, while Steve Purcell gets a co-director credit. 93-minute runtime and a PG rating. This film debuted June 10th, 2012, at the Seattle International Film Festival. So this, two weeks later. This movie feels longer than it is. It re- it feels, you think so? Uh, to me, it I feels it a little longer. I don't know okay. if it's that, that's because of... Uh, emotions that it gets or because it changes scenery so often i wonder but this movie like i watched it three times but it felt like an hour two hour movie for some reason nope 93 93 so that's you just bashing the writing no, I like <laughs> no, it. Kidding. I do like it, but I feel like, I don't know, I'm absorbed That's interesting. In it. I thought it was quick. I, I, I only watched it the one time, but I thought it went quick. But it did debut in the U.S., went wide, June 22nd of 2012. Patrick Doyle did the music because he's Scottish. Robert Anderson and Daniel <laughs> Feinberg each get credit for doing the camera and lighting respectively for the cinematography. Feinberg especially is a name to keep an eye on as she had a key role in the lighting of eight Pixar films, including winning the Annie Award for Outstanding Achievement for Product Design in an Animated Feature Production in 2018 for Coco. Uh-huh. Walt Disney Pictures and Pixar Animation Studios each get production company listings, while again, it's Walt Disney Studios Motion Pictures who do the distribution. Brave beat out Wally's budget by a whole $5 million, being done for a total of $185 million. That was the production budget for Brave. Yeah. Something about being exactly $5 million apart in every film, because <sighs> Up was exactly $5 million less than Wally. This is exactly $5 million more than Wally. It's a bad look, though, Mike, when you make a film about a robot before you make a film about a female. Not good, huh? Not a good Not look. Not good. And it's also important to remember that while Wall-E was, you know, one of the movies we just did in the Pixar yeah. entry series, Brave wasn't the next movie after Wall-E. We skipped a couple because of the franchise sure. roles that we're doing. So Wall-E was 2009. Brave is 2012, like I said. And it's also important to remember that, again, uh, that's now $185 million for Brave is not the record because in the interim between Wall-E and Brave, uh, Toy Story 3 came out and Cars 2 came out. They both were made for $200 million production budgets. Those are the record holders right now as of this point in time in wow. our Pixar series. Its scores for Brave were a bit of a reset for Pixar compared to the absurd hot streak the critics thought the company had been on up to this point. We're all dealing with 8.2s and 8.0s for Pixar movies recently. This one is 7.1 on IMDb. 
337,000 plus reviews there. Still a certified fresh rotten tomato score, but 79%. Not in the 90s, as we have been accustomed to. I wonder if expectations came into play. I'm going to talk Could about be. it in a few minutes. But I definitely didn't expect, like, a, this feels more like Disney animation. Yes, and I agree. It's because it's a fairy tale. It's a fairy tale, right. And it's because it's following a lot of those tried and true principles. And even if you don't think that to be on the heels of something like Toy Story 3. I mean, how high could expectations be at that point? True. We keep gl talking glowingly about remembering Toy Story 3, so mm -hmm. could be a bit of a letdown in that way, sure. Uh, 242 critic reviews, 51 of those rotten. 76% uh, audience score, though, on 278,000-plus reviews. 69 nice meta score from Metacritic, which still rates as a positive score for the site, but considering Up had an 88, which was good for still only the 8th highest Pixar score ever, it shouldn't be surprising surprising to hear that Brave 69 nice is only good for the 16th highest rated Pixar film to date on the site so kind of low there still though even when Pixar takes a step backwards critically it takes a step forward financially mm. 540.4 million dollar worldwide box office that includes 237.3 of that coming domestically which breaks down to about a three to one dollar ratio for gross box office dollar earned to production dollar added which means true to form this picture probably finished in the black for the mouse brave finishes the highest grossing animated film of 2012 domestically though it finished third in that ranking worldwide behind get this ice age continental drift and madagascar 3 europe's most wanted those no. were more popular worldwide than brave uh, still, it rivaled smash hits like Wally and Up by having a $66.3 million opening weekend domestically and remained in the top five of the domestic box office for its first five weekends in theaters. And what matters most other than the bottom line, it nailed its ultimate goal other than financial success when it continued the trend of Pixar films being nominated for and winning the animated feature category at the Oscars for what would be the brand's fifth consecutive release, this time going up against in-house rival from Disney Animation Studios. Wreck-It Ralph. Yeah, it beat Wreck-It Ralph, the Pirates, spans of Band of Misfits, Paranorman, and Frankenweenie. Uh, and Paranorman and Frankenweenie, I remember, both were critically uh, lauded. Critically acclaimed, yeah. yeah. So th this one didn't get the critical scores no. of the last few, but it still won the top prize. So uh, it's interesting. What do, what do you recollect? Do you think this was more worthy than uh, those movies? I think the expectations were screwed up for this movie because I, 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 I want to get into mine in a minute because I'm not expecting a Disney animated fairy tale, right? When I go Certainly, to see a no, Pixar yeah. movie, I'm expecting something, especially after the last couple, mm -hmm. edgy, right? If it's not that franchise, look, if I know I'm going into Cars 2, I'm going to expect Cars 1 right. just done again. If I know I'm going into Toy Story 3, I'm going to expect a road trip movie, and I was really excited that they went dark at the end of that one. We'll get into that. You're getting a, a standalone weeks. property. And the last Pixar standalone property was Up, up and before and that was Wally, Wally. and yeah. it's just innovative and edgy right. and satire, and oh my God, it's so different yeah. than what we've seen before. This is like a Disney fairy tale mm -hmm. done really, really well with just visuals that are unlike anything you've ever seen, and done through a point of view that is just so neglected at this point. Not only yeah. in Pixar, especially but in Pixar, yeah, with Disney animation, yeah. yep, as well. So my expectations weren't ready for this movie. I still remember liking it and laughing a lot about it, but I was just like, "What the hell am I? What's going on with the bears?" And the didn't magic? see this coming at all. Did not see this right. story coming. Did not see this plot laying out the way it did. I thought this was going to be about something completely different. I totally <laughs> thought it was like going to be like a Game of Thrones something or other with right. like warring tribes. Because yeah, I, you know, I read the, I read up on it going in, but I had no idea it was it was like this. I thought it was going to be something. Like I knew it had something to do with like a preordained marriage. 
Yeah. Didn't think we were going to take the left-hand turn into bear country. <laughs> <laughs> so the plot premise here before... Uh, yeah. We finish up with expectations. Determined to make her own path in life, Princess Merida defies a custom that brings chaos to her kingdom. Grant, yeah. Granted one <laughs> wish, Merida must rely on her bravery and her archery skills to undo a beastly curse. Oh, so you're hinting at the, the big twist hinting there. At it. I don't know what I read back in the day, but I remember expecting kind of a, a very different movie. Yeah, same here. Getting, um, you know, a mother-daughter film and a fairy tale. Yeah, this is a very... This is like a Mother Goose fairy tale, yeah. Yes. And the moral is on the nose, it's in your face the entire time, and then it's literal <laughs> as far as the plot goes. But I'm, I'm glad we did this rewatch yeah. because I, I was able to rewatch this thing three times over the past few days, and all my warped expectations of the past, throw them away, and I just enjoyed the hell out of this movie each time I put it on. And you're going to talk about how much you love the characters. I I really, I like the story too. I I thought they, if you're going to do this story, that Mother Goose fairy tale, this is how you do it. Yeah. And I I really enjoyed it. So we're ready to get into some production values, Mike? Yeah. uh, So the thing I want to talk about starting with sight, I know Mm -hmm. we can talk about sound too, there's highlights there, but... How far, I teased it in our last episode, how far Pixar has come when you just look back at like Toy Story 1 and then you see this, just the sequence here where Merida is racing out of the castle, jumping on like a a container with apples, jumping down steps, getting eventually on her horseback and it looks so real. It looks like it's just a moving picture. I mean, how far this company has come with their animation is really astounding. So they really uh, came up with innovations for three different things. First, the hair. They talked about the uh, a lot of tests they did. They did real life science experiments on how curly hair moves, and they decided (laughs) that it moved like springs, right? Literal springs. So they programmed into the computer all these springs for the curly hair, except the springs would stretch too far. So they had to. So you got vertical springs, (laughs) right, with the curls. They had to do like hexagonal springs inside of each curl. Oh, Jesus. All right? So they they had springs going in each way so that they wouldn't stretch too far on every movement. And it's just unreal how they, they made all these physical models first. And then they figured it out in the computer program, but they called it Core Springs was the big innovation for this and hair. if you've been listening to our rewatch series, you know how obsessive this company is over hair. And the way our series in general, Mike, Mike, and Oscar, is obsessive <laughs> over yes, hair. that too. Because I'm losing mine. Anyway, the bear, they also came up with something that they called volume metrics, where they basically layered in the muscle and the bones of the animated bear. And they had done stuff like this with the octopus, or they do stuff later with the octopus mm-hmm. and finding Dory. And they had some of the stuff with the fish. But really, they're given more than just a skeleton. They're, they're weighting, it, weighting it down with all the muscle. They have the full skeleton of the... That's a full bear inside that computer. This is amazing. I, this is, and again, it, you, you don't have these capabilities. One of the hallmarks of the Pixar thing is that they create the technology that yeah. they need to implement. They, you know, So everything from Toy Story that you saw in 95 didn't exist until they made it. And just like this technology now where you're putting, basically building a bear from the ground up. You also wonder if this is like the forerunner to 3D printing. Because if you're doing this, right? 
Right. If you're building it within essentially a 2D environment, mm -hmm. what's to stop you from building it up and it's building like it in 3D? It's like Minority Report happens <laughs> right. and then somebody invents it. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we really can do that. Like, Black Panther right. can exist. It's crazy. Star Wars can exist with the uh, holographic, uh, but nobody wants to use it yet. I'm just getting used to my screens, people. <laughs> just getting used to my screens. I'm the old man. Finally, that third innovation, for, I don't know if it's an innovation per se, but Mike, Mark Andrews really wanted to ride through the Scottish Highlands and while he was on his trip out I there. I bet he did. He did that, and him and his, and, his, and his crew did that with cameras. And basically they took all their highlights that they filmed and put it into the computer. And they That's basically awesome. animated over that. So every beautiful vision mid-ride they put into the being computer. able to actually visit these beautiful lush environments in real life on Pixar's dime is not only uh, makes for a wonderful viewing experience, but because these people actually get to go there free of charge as for quote unquote research mm -hmm. is also why you will never see a Pixar movie take place in like Danbury, Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> Probably true. Mike, the, uh, the music in the soundtrack, I, I, I love the old school bagpipe. I am Irish and I am part Scottish and it yeah. just speaks to me. It's great, right? I, I loved it. Love the bagpipes. Love that it was for a gag. Yeah. I loved oh my god, when they started fighting and then the, the bagpipers are like, Let's go piping <laughs> <laughs> just boom, they're playing the song right there. I love all the traditional music. I love the the lullaby that the moms yeah. and the and the daughter sing. I don't love the Mumford and Sons plus guests, you know, all these famous singers. No, I can, I can do, I'm with you. I'm I like the songs. It's not yeah. like I dislike the songs, and I know they were hits. I just wondered if that should have been through the credits. It kind of takes you out of this, you're supposed to be in like the 1400s, right? The yeah. 1300, you know, and you're listening to modern day. Yeah, I get you. Modern day pop songs could absolutely take you out of the mood, as opposed to when you already have this soundtrack, this score that is based, not soundtrack, I should say, this score that is based in just old school Scottish music. Why not just stay there for the movie? So I wondered if I was having a double standard, because you guys, <laughs> he's, the first movie they make, he's got Randy Newman just going, <laughs> you're spoiled now, yeah. What, what was, what fit seamlessly in Toy Story? that didn't fit here, I wonder. I wonder if Randy Newman's voice sounds like the you voice... You saw it as a child, yeah. right? I mean, you saw... Toy Story came out in 95 as I opposed just, to 2012. Yeah. You, you're more forgiving of it, I would think, then. I just wonder why I allow it there and why I don't necessarily think it fits here. I, I don't... I gotta psychoanalyze myself. Because your subconscious, myself. it belongs there. Because you, you, you attach it to your childhood memory. Hmm. You saw it already. That's that's Toy Story to you. That's Toy Story for hmm. me. Well, I rewatched this three times, and every time the, the big theme song seemed just a little forced. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I could absolutely see how you see that. And I think the highlights, for when there are highlights for this song or anything sound-related, yeah. it is primarily you know drums, bagpipes, very simple musical instruments as opposed to anything soundtrack related sure so to get into performances character animations you you said it earlier in the prep could we love these ca characters anymore i would die for these three little red-headed boys all right it's the end of batman forever mike you got the 
Baby Dory. I think I'm willing to say goodbye to Baby Dory. Baby Dory's getting <laughs> flushed into, and dropped into space. And then and in the other tube, you have these triplets. Now, see. Redheaded triplets. You're Batman. Yeah. Who do you save? I think I would save Dory <laughs> just knowing these kids are going to get out of it. They're going to get out of the sex. <laughs> you know, like, they, they, they are just, the most overly can't capable. You make the Sophie's choice here. Like a, like a, oh, no. Listen, if it was up to me, I'm saving the kids. These kids, I, I these are my life now. I have never. All they care about yeah. is food and mayhem <laughs> i have never related more to any disney characters in my life they're great they're so great and i love merida too i love yeah. her hair so but her hair is so fun to look at just study watch the way it moves it is so adorable i'm telling you and i know it's you know it's overly simplistic and we shouldn't be commenting on it when our animators blah 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 if you just watch these in sequential order yeah. and you see 95 you see andy and his mom and you see what the humans look like there and then you look at the hair and the faces and the way these characters move and jump. It's like it's two completely different studios. Oh, the thing with uh, Merida, though, and I, I can't get over this, like studying her performance, like that is a great child acting performance. Yeah. I, I know it's a cartoon. Right. I know. I realize no, I this. But the what she's emoting yeah. throughout this movie, like when she breaks down and ugly cries and a few scenes, when she's trying to stay poised, when she's trying to deal with all the, the BS her mom's putting her through, and then when things are getting out of control and she's like basically telling herself that I this is not my fault, this is not my fault, and I'm going through it. Like the subtleties of her performance and then the big dramatic moments. Like she's got Oscar real scenes in this micro Oscar critics I can't <laughs> neglect to notice it I would love to know how what like what it took how prepared you see in Hollywood hit lore all the time you know yeah. we, we've all seen the scene of Jack Nicholson running up and down the hallway in the room getting psyched up for the here's Johnny scene like what headspace did Kelly McDonald need to get into to perfectly encapsulate this teenage repressed girl it would be bizarre you know yeah it, I would love it, to see that it's a little bizarre just to watch her doing her lines like she she doesn't really tip off that she's a little kid and like bouncing around her head and stuff like that but I did watch a couple videos and they I they, they were off. They were just a little. I, mean, I think you have to be though, you know, right? I mean, it's an adult playing as a teenager. It's, but she, like you said, she does it extraordinarily well. She does. Queen Eleanor, I, I have to say something about her Rapunzel hair. By the way, I love <laughs> that she has totally unique hair, but it's a different kind of hair. It's like the two long strands yeah. of Rapunzel. I love that so much because I think that's that says, all right, mother and daughter can't be more different. Daughter takes after her dad ah. kissed by fire, right? And then the mother's got this straight hair and it's straight line yeah. and it's actually bound and it's, oh, it's so good. So that that's really smart. We also have a good performance from her as well. I, I can't Yeah, she's great. How, I mean, Emma Thompson's probably easier to you know, well, both of them, but if they actually pulled the performance from the recording sessions, mm. that would make some sense. Just, I'm, I'm thrilled with these two performances at the center of this. It's really dramatically strong. And based on what the moral of this fairy tale is, they had to be, right? Like, they had to be differentiating at all times and then coming together at certain times. And, yeah, they, they absolutely need to there be this and they work. There are three dramatic scenes in this movie that I would stack up against anything from Lady Bird and anything from wow. the last few movies that we've had contend in multiple acting categories. Wow, all right, I think cool. it's that good. Like you said, the triplets, some of the funnest characters ever, right? I mean, much, much like the dogs and birds and Up, 
They are. I mean, this is what Pixar does, right? They have, you know, Wally is a dog because he's so innocent. Yeah. Doug literally is a dog, and it's a cheat code. And you have a dog talk. Anytime you have a character that doesn't speak and is only they're the personification of emotions or desires, mm -hmm. they're going to be funny. And then you have the three <laughs> caricatures of the head of the Scottish clans. Yes. You know, just some of the funniest characters. Like, everything they do is hilarious. And I also love their arcs. Like, the arcs of all three. It's really one arc for all three of them. But there's some serious change from start to finish. And it's, it's change that has to be forced from the central conflict between mother and daughter. So I, I thought they worked those in as perfect foils. Yet again, Pixar really figuring out the structure of its cast. You have the father who loved it is absolutely loved them really qualified at certain things he knows where his weaknesses are and i'm going to get into that in spoilers and he allows his daughter and his wife to fill in those weaknesses and make him stronger in those areas so that's just really fun and refreshing like he's a refreshing dad in many ways and yet still we have this ridiculous conflict between him and all the clansmen and it's just hilarious you know, they're on the edge of a knife finally got the bears mm -hmm. and the bears couldn't be more distinct no so that that's fun uh we'll talk about one more character in spoilers <laughs> that we have to talk about some script thoughts to end it here uh, in the non-spoiler section mike I love fantasy stories, and I think they played this through line about as tight and as strong as they could. You're dealing with a, a storyline that has to involve magic without having a lot of time to exposit all the rules of it. They joke away a lot of objections, which is really smart and strong. Again, I think that's the Brad Bird school of storytelling that being said there seems to be a lot of fat that was left on the cutting room you know a lot left on the cutting room floor because some of the editing was a little awkward yeah and i think uh you know wrapping it up i think it has its weaknesses too but i think as far as and it, we, we kind of are we've said this along the way i think the message is the the moral is played the fairy tale aspect is played very well these are some of the strongest characters that we've had in Pixar movies yeah. yet. And I think we're on a string right now of three of some really legendary Pixar characters. You know, before Lady Bird, this might, might have been one of the best yeah. mother-daughter movies ever made. I, I mean, I, I don't have a daughter. I, I'm not a daughter, so I don't know. You know, I don't want to make that proclamation. Well, considering that it was, the story was thought of by a mother based on her relationship with her daughter exactly. and then you have that whole infighting thing that happened and this thing lost some luster and its story along the way maybe it's because they did pull out the director who was a woman who on this very female protagonist centered story needed that touch to finish it up and maybe that's what kept it from being a great movie we won't know we'll never know unless Brenda Chapman or John Lasseter decides to tell us all the whole story one day but I agree that again get women in the writing room get women in the director's chair get their perspective and especially if you're going to have a film or a story focused on female characters. Right. You won't make every elder queen look like Kathy Ireland. <laughs> I want Yeah. It's like yeah. ridiculous. Every queen in the history of Disney. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, it's somewhat progressing. I don't know if, how progressive it is yet, but we'll get there. Mike, we got to dance, right? Yeah, let's uh, spoiler it up. Spoilers ahead! Do you think we should lay a trap? Try shutting you! See the opposite. I'm sure it went this way. It must have sprouted wings. Was carried away by a 
A giant body. A dragon, perhaps. Bear in that castle. Doesn't make sense. Can he open doors? It's got big giant paws. <sighs> Let's just get inside. This is a spoiler warning. This is the spoiler section for the Pixar series rewatch episode covering the movie Brave, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. If you've not seen the movie yet, if you don't want to hear what happens, if you don't want it spoiled for you, this is a good place for you to hit pause. Go watch the movie. We'll be waiting for you when you get back if you've seen the movie already. If you're just curious to hear our thoughts or if we've hyped up the twists and turns so much for you in the non-spoiler section that you can't go another minute without hearing what happens. This is where you want to be. It's all spoilers all the time for the movie Brave, the review as part of the Pixar rewatch series brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. And Mike, we start the spoiler sections every time with one of the rules to screenwriting success brought to you by Pixar. Rule number 12 today. Discount the first thing that comes to mind and the second, third, fourth, fifth. Get the obvious out of the way, period. Surprise yourself. So this is basically elaborating on rule number 11 that talked about get it on paper so you can fix it, right? So this is another kind of pep talk to the writer and I wanted to talk about the derivations of this story uh, based on an article at mythcreants.com, C-R-E-A-N-T-S. And uh, they're talking about the origins of Tangled, Brave, and Frozen. This was by Chris Winkle back in 2014. I really like this article because it pointed out a lot about Scottish fairy tales. And Scottish fairy tales, on their face, Mike, the first thing that would come to mind is researching the Scottish fairy tale. They have witches for villains often. Makes sense. These witches are usually evil. So how many huh. drafts of this script yeah. did it get to where you had this absent-minded, just trying to make a buck <laughs> salesman? Like, I, she doesn't even want to give you a spell. Look, if we're being honest, I would have bought some of those things. I thought they were pretty cool. <laughs> I loved it so much. But she's just trying to sell her one piece after another. Do you want this? Do that? It's all bears. And then you have the Sistine Chapel. Does this? How about this to spark some conversation? I am laughing hard at that point. I just thought it was really funny. So to get from evil witch trying to screw you up to a witch who's actually just being like a mentor hero yeah. in a way. And the, the fact that the wisps led you there so that this witch could actually set this girl on a journey of discovery and, and basically the, the, the reformation of their of a relationship with the mom. So to get there from Evil Witch in a Fairy Tale is really fun. It also enabled the moral of the story which at this point we can now reveal is about communication and needing to talk to your, you know, express yourself, talk to your loved ones, et cetera, et cetera, all that mother-daughter relationship that this was this was highlighting. It enabled, because you didn't have that big mythical antagonist, I mean, right. obviously there's the bear, but because the witch didn't take center stage, she was just a plot device for the most part, yeah. you were able to and focus on... Yeah, exactly. You were able to focus instead on the tension of the story, which actually was the lack of communication and inability to yep. communicate between a mother and a daughter. I thought it worked extraordinarily well, and it, w it wouldn't have worked if you had an evil witch... I agree. Yeah. ...in the background. Or at least it wouldn't have been as prevalent, right? right? You would have had to write around this witch doing evil deeds as they've done throughout every other Scottish folklore. So we'll move now into uh, scenes of heartbreaks and happiness and everything involving the three red-headed brothers. I'm good. You go now. <laughs> <laughs> heartbreaks, though, Mike, I I'm like I said in the non-spoilers, like, there are three scenes that hit me hard. Yeah, go ahead. Walk me through this. I can't get over how they made that happen, but it's very sad 
that the mother and daughter can't have a full conversation to the point where they literally cross-cut. And I thought it was brilliant. brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. That Agreed. major argument where they're cross-cutting between the... And it's, it starts out funny, right? The father, the father's like, I'll pretend I'm Merida, and you speak to me. And then he changes his whole countenance. It's just like, ooh, I don't want to have my hair bunched up in a bowl. It just really made me laugh. But then the mother, when she actually starts to act there, great drama, because she's like, this is what you need to do. And you can see how flustered she is. You can see how she can't even do the role-playing exercise that the father's trying to get the mother to do. And you can see how distraught she is talking to the husband on how she can't do it. And then the, the daughter is speaking to the horse. And you can see how she is basically go, doing and then they cross cut it all together which is a stroke of brilliance so it's it's as if they're having a conversation with one another except their big impetus is that they are unable or unable to talk to one another in this way it reminded me of the speech in the dark knight what happens when an nice. unstoppable force meets an immovable object you could see they legitimately have a problem yeah. they have an argument they both are making good points to make them sound smart the both of them, and yet far apart, now you, you really have good drama here. It is really grounded in generational conflict. Sure. And, th and it's relatable. And it's, yeah. You know, I mean, who, who among, whether your daughter's son, whatever, cousin, whoever, who hasn't had that issue with a family member? So that's the beginning of the movie. The central scene of the film is when they have the argument and she actually takes the sword out and slashes yeah, the what the mother was knitting at the beginning of the film. So, Mike, like, it's not heartbreaking when they have these really cute, adorable scenes of the mother singing a lullaby to the girl when the... Th lightning hits right that's a, a door, wonderful scene and then in the beginning when the father gives her the bow mm -hmm. it all comes together all the flashbacks come together in that central argument right before the the daughter it's really not central it's really before act two starts so daughter goes off and, and find, seeks out the witch mm -hmm. right after she has that blowout with her mom sure. and the mom throws the arrow in the bow into the fire yeah and then, just like the daughter's ugly cries, freaks out. Yeah. What a great performance! The mother literally kicks out, kicks into the fire, and gets the bow out of there. And she's like, "What have I done?" As the horse comes down the stairs, <laughs> my, my dog wanted to join us. Yes, <laughs> uh, no, I, I agree. And that was I had that as one of the uh, the heartbreaks as my of mine as well, and especially the mother's quick reaction. And it's cinematically perfect, right? Because she realizes her, she has overcome with regret just after the daughter leaves the scene yeah. you know and she just she can't apologize to her because the daughter already scurried away so it's that creates the entire conflict for the rest of the movie it's so smart as well because they they allow you a reaction scene to each one of these yeah. between the two characters the reaction scene after the cross cut that really innovative cross cut is the mother dressing the daughter and then they make eye contact prolonged eye contact and she goes Merida and then she goes oh mom and you think they're gonna finally come together and she's like well don't forget to enunciate yep. or something and it's just like oh yeah and then she's just like damn it i'm gonna go sit down i'm gonna be, I'm, I'm in this ridiculously tight little mummy dress <laughs> and it's funny because she keeps pulling out a strand mm -hmm. of hair it's just like yeah she wants to have her identity and she I feels it's being taken from i her, love yeah. that so much and the mom wants to say something to her there mm -hmm. 
can't do it. And then the reaction to that second scene, of course, it, it follows up late. I have a peace offering for you. It's this cake. It's poison. It's a, it's a poisoned apple, essentially, yeah. you know? Yeah, so that that's brilliant. That, really escalating the stakes. <laughs> and finally, you have the reaction scene to the finale, which is essentially the spell so you know, let's, what happens we there. should probably lay this out for people who haven't seen it if they are with us in the spoiler section there is a hard left turn in this movie and that is uh, Merida as a result of that big blowout we just talked about Merida sees these wisps with lead her, which lead her to a witch in the forest because of yep. course uh, she wants one wish because she doesn't want to get married like her mother wants her to so she wants one wish one spell to use against her mother to change her fate yep. that spell eventually is baked into a cake that Merida feeds her mother her mother becomes a bear a literal bear <laughs> because they're communication issues need to be resolved and what better way to make that more on the nose than having them change species on one another so the mother becomes a bear for the latter half of this movie and then it, it another bear makes their way in so it becomes a mother fight against a bear who used to be a prince right now it's not heartbreaks per se but when that bear when that mother bear turns into an actual bear like every time the mother bear has to eat something yes she's still she carried away. cognizant of who she is except of course like all good spells after the second sunrise if, if, if this bond between mother and daughter isn't fixed she will become an actual bear bear so you wonder how just sad and tragic muldoon's <laughs> son and that storyline the other bear in this yes <laughs> that one didn't work yeah. Michael. they didn't never <laughs> came together the, that's, the, that's the dark side of disney's the unexplained stories it's like muldoon killed his son <laughs> ate his son yeah i wonder how, it was like the third lost. sunrise and it was too late <laughs> very sad this horse yeah, right my, now. Do, my dog's uh, my dog's lonely today <laughs> so the finale was exceptionally and surprisingly emotional i know i'm using adverbs but i'm a movie critic for christ's sake <laughs> you're gonna get adverbs i got mad at myself the other day because I, I kept saying literally and whatever i use adverbs we're we're, <laughs> we're we're movie critics anyway like once that sun is rising and she is just breaking down emotionally, yeah oh that was that tugs at your heartstrings i had that wow. but how could that not be an emotionally heart-wrenching scene right especially because again when you're in our 13th movie and say what you want about the backstory with what happened with with miss chapman and how wrong that was but we still are dealing with Pixar, who as a whole are masters of emotional manipulation, which has been one of our ongoing themes. So they know exactly what they're doing here in these scenes at the end here. And we all know the mother's going to come out of it, right? We know this is going to happen. It's a fairy tale. But then again, we're like, oh no, it's not <laughs> right. going to happen. The mother's going to be a bear forever. It's going to eat her own daughter. And that's, that's, that's a credit to the screenwriting right. process of Pixar, that they can get us to that point, even though we know these have happy endings. We've seen 13 of them. Mike, what if Pixar spins? That would be amazing. That would be on amazing. Us. I would love that. <laughs> they could. They could give us a what if they gave us a bittersweet ending one of these days. I would love that. Oh, they have to rate it like PG-13 or something. They would have to give us a heads up. Probably. Then you, once you tear that... Once, once you, you sow that distrust amongst kids in Pixar, yeah. you can't get that back. No, you can't. So let's talk about the happiness. Because yeah. uh, Merida's first day off, when you're getting that first Mumford and Sons song with the, the to the sky or whatever mm -hmm. it's called there, really just visually one of the most beautiful things Pixar's ever done. Her riding through... I'm telling you, man, it looks like it's just shot with a regular person on horseback, a regular person running through town. It doesn't look like, in that moment, it doesn't look like it's animation. Shooting it looks like just people. Oh, and shooting targets, going to the waterfall, climbing the mountain. Yeah. 
And the, the most beautiful thing during that whole entire, you know, sequence is her hair. Oh, yeah. Her hair in the sunlight. And it's noticeable, too. We're not just making a big deal about it because Pixar makes a big deal about it. Pixar makes a big deal about it because they put all their effort into it. And all their effort is shown. Like, you could see this hair. It's it's red. It's voluptuous. It's got all kinds of volume. But it's bouncing all over the place. It is the red dress in Schindler's List. I was going to say The Matrix, yeah. Or that. (laughs) (laughs) Slightly different films. Um, The triplets, Mike. We, we, We... we kind of gush. I am amazed at how adult, like we've been dealing with adult themes in Pixar yeah. movies after this. The adultness of that uh, maiden, I guess, the the tower maiden in this, how she's like, like her, the crux of her storyline is one of the redheaded triplets swan diving into her cleavage. She has giant breasts. <laughs> this is what we haven't said yet. This is what we're like, trying not to. She is, I think she's the, I don't know who, what her position is. She, yeah, she's like the maid of the tower or something. Like she does a lot. She seems like she's got her hand in every pot here. Right. I don't know if she's the nanny. Yeah. I, if she is, she's the worst nanny ever. <laughs> she cannot be or the nanny. Or she has the toughest job it, well, That could be too, yeah. Because if you have to watch those triplets who are, who are now bears themselves <laughs> because they eat the pie as well. Which is brilliant. Uh, and I love how Merida doesn't remember. She leaves it there. and then <laughs> She's like, she sets them up. And it's so, br- that is such a, that scene made me very happy. Yeah. As well as the kids swan diving into the cleavage because it, that was unexpected. But the scene where the kids eat the pie she said she needs the triplets' help to get Mother Bear, who is now a bear, escaped out of the castle because the whole interplay is that the father was attacked by Bear Mordoon once upon a time. So now father wants to kill bears when he sees bears. So Merida needs to get Bear, who is mother, out of castle now because she knows if father sees it, father will attack. So she enlists the help of the three kids. The three kids have this gong show parody. It is. <laughs> It is, like, so well orchestrated, right? They have the frog that looks like a bear in shadow. They have it all worked so out good. already. It's like they were waiting for their sister. <laughs> it's like they've been waiting for anybody to ask them to stage a bear hunt yes, inside the Yes, that's exactly right. And so they do, literally using shadows, trick all the men in the house of getting, thinking there's a bear and down yelling the into vases. They already have their Using voices. secret passageways oh, that only they could fit into. So they must have constructed them in the castle so only they must know about them. The buffoons <laughs> that they make of their father yes. and the father's friends, who are the high lords of Scotland. They're the four high lords of Scotland. So it's just, it's so much and fun. And so they help Merida and Eleanor escape the castle. And Merida, as a thank you, says, you know, she first promises her, them her dinner or her uh, dessert for a year, yeah. which they actually negotiate out of her and without saying a word. the negotiation is just them squinting their I eyes. Died. And I died. I died when I saw that. It's like, they're, she offers them dessert for three days, and they're like, no, 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 more. And he just, yeah, he puts his hand. He opens like, and closes more, his hand me. with oh his look God. on his face. So she finally is thanking them on the way out the door, and she says, you know, treat yourself to anything you want because they're in the pantry right now. These kids are about food and mayhem. That is it. That is their genesis. That's their principle, their construction. So they turn immediately <laughs> and see the unfinished cake, which is poison, and they run right to it, and we all see their greedy hands and their eyes light up as they approach it. Oh, love it, love it, love it. I laugh really so Really, the hard. derivation of their characters, they cut off the mustache yes. of that guard, which is funny. Yes. But then they are sitting with their father. And we saw the scene with the bear, with Maldu, mm-hmm. in the opening, right? Yeah. After the wonderful scene with Baby Merida. <laughs> Loved it. Baby Merida with getting the bow, like I already said. Yeah. When that kid is just lip-syncing 
his father's story <laughs> to a T, like he knows it. One great eye. I am laughing. The first time I saw that, like I rewatched it. The first time I rewatched it. And it's like my favorite part. And I got upset when I'm rewatching. I'm kind of doing stuff on the computer. I missed it the last time I rewatched it. I had to rewind it and watch it again. It's like the, it's like the greatest hits of this movie. Mike, it may, makes me so happy. Yeah, literally anything. They're the minions. They are basically minions of Pixar. These three little boys, <laughs> they just can do no wrong in my eyes. So the scene with the three Scottish lords strutting into the throne room, <laughs> Mike, they make me laugh so hard. Just their goofy walk, especially the one with the doofiest son, yes. the gag that they pull off. <laughs> and hes they're all given these grand stories, these mm-hmm. tall tales about the son fighting off 2,000 people. Huge accomplishments. Huge accomplishment. I love how one son with the same giant chin, just unbearded with the, just the little fuzz, and he had the big scared eyes, and he just breaks the oak. <laughs> he breaks the like piece of wood. Oh, maybe laugh. And then the finally the last guy, and he just looks like a ridiculous person, <laughs> tiny person. Mm-hmm. How he became this this great leader, I don't know, but he's pointing at Hercules. Like this humongous, like the rock mm-hmm. times ten, and and then everybody's like, "What? This is his son?" It's just pointing at him, gesturing, and then he goes, "Get, get out of here!" The son is standing by the leg, one of the two legs. And he's um, the doofiest, like most unprepared, unsuspecting guy. Looks exactly like their. I love how each one of these characters look exactly like their, their father. fathers. Yeah. They are chips off the old, goofy-looking blocks. <laughs> so perfect that killed me. And then, of course, that scene gets better and better because. The fight breaks out. The bagpipers just playing their pipes while the fight's <laughs> happening. Again, I love that. Like, on cue. And then the triplets causing the restart of the fight. Like, the triplets are like, oh, Coming yeah, out from perfect. one of their tunnels, like, while the fight's all slowed down. And they're like, well, the fight's not over yet. And they no. just bash someone on the foot and run away. <laughs> and then one of them actually has a big axe. And they. Just, I love how they just, their eyes widen with may. All they want is food and chaos. Okay. That's it. They're agents of chaos. This is exactly right. So, love that. And then, uh, of course, these buffoons are going to break out into full-blown war. Mm -hmm. And I love how each of them sits in their own, like, pew sections as they're waging war on each other with spears (laughs) and arrows. And and the fathers, they have shields and stuff. And then, of course, Merida walks in there. They all stop. And she gives that emotional speech. It's a great indicator of where their relationship is at. So after they go through all the stuff with being the mother bear, right? Mm -hmm. Which is a fine sequence. It worked. It works better and better on me every time I watch it, right? Like, it's a little corny at first, but the mother bear has such a good performance through her eyes. I mean, that, they do such a great I job. I do have. I do think that and that's part of the parts of the ending. I think is weakly written is that she's basically yes. I understand the difficulty of communication. And now we're going to believe that a bear is now signing to a human and just believing it word for word. And not only is she getting it immediately, but she's able to convey it in this beautifully eloquent and emotional way. Well, the thing it's is, just, like, yeah. But the mother is like doing that a little bit in the scene. I noticed earlier mm-hmm. when the daughters. She's the mother is signing, so you're like, okay because it was a callback. Yeah, yeah, it's a callback to that first scene where the daughter's like frustrated right. 
So and then she does it a few times where she's like, "Do what I want you to do," <laughs> and using her hands to sign to the daughter. And then of course she's trying to get the daughter's attention when she's got that air. Like there are great sequences in this movie, and it's just one after another. Like these are big set pieces done quickly, economically. Like that whole s- series with the arrows, where where the each you know you think you're getting Robin Hood, and then the daughter comes out and, and you yeah. do literally you get, get Robin Hood. <laughs> she's got a big huge head of red hair, <laughs> and you get men in tights too with the arrow splitting the arrow. Right. I, I mean, I'm willing to forgive it. And again, I just thought there was some, there were some weaknesses overall in the ending too. Like uh, the Mordoon getting crushed, not being defeated, but just being, you know, taken out by something that wasn't the mother, wasn't the daughter's archery, wasn't there anyone's braveness, wasn't anyone's heroism. I understand the mother had a lot to do with it. The daughter had a lot to do with it. I could have used it more directly. The fact that Mordoon gets killed and the all of a sudden the prince's wisp now is a thing which he was never explained yeah. now that's not a that's okay i guess that's how wisps are made i guess that's how wisps yeah. are made i don't know i'm, I'm kind of okay with it all right we have all the ancient like, yeah it's 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 a lot of forget like many of pixar's regressions in their storytelling it's a lot of forgivable stuff i agree yeah, but it's kind of cool to think about like all your ancestors are the wisp trying to tell you something that they've learned basically that are to- just pranksters and want to show up when they want well, they sh- they show up only when you need to go to the witch. She'll give will give you the. They, they, That's a very specific calling in the afterlife. <laughs> they won't show up when you demand yeah. that they show up. I actually hear it's just like a lot of toxic shit coming out of the ground out there. That's what I hear. It's, a lot of CO2. What it really is. If you look at yeah, it's like it's some kind of trick with uh, chemicals coming. That'll out make around. you cease things, I guess. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, to me, the one like it's really funny the scene with the witch, but she get, gets too exasperated too quickly, like we do on this podcast. <laughs> yes, and we we start speaking with CTs yes. and X's too much, and going through puberty again. But th- that happens in this movie, and it's like wow, they must have cut a lot out of that scene. Yeah, that maybe, bothered. and they did. They, they, I mean, they were trying to keep it to a tight ninety something in ninety three minutes. Like you said, it's it's not a whole lot of time to let all these different characters play out because there are a fair number of new characters that you're introducing here. If you go by all the lords, all their sons, or the royal family, the witch, the yeah. bear, you know, there's but a lot to get in. To me, though, it did feel a little bit like not Tarzan one, Tarzan two, when you have the. Pop, Why did you see that? You have the pop music <laughs> when the little. You know, it, it feels a little bit like that at times when you just play the pop music over the mother-daughter playing montage. Like, I didn't love that. Yeah. I didn't love that. Either. Yeah, again, if we're talking about sound, I would have rather they just Take stuck to the to the old-school bagpipe, old-school drum, brass horn stuff yeah. that they were doing otherwise. But I tend to think we're higher on this than most people. I mean, I loved this movie. I really did. I thought it fit really well. I I, I typically don't love stories like this. I Same don't. here. I'm like, not I'm, a fantasy person at all. I, I mean, I'm, I can't I do Lord a, uh, Game of Thrones for Christ's sake. Am I a fair, Mother Goose fairy tale brought to life in a simplistic way? And then you pull it off with all these jokes and all right. the gags and all the set pieces. I, I'm in. We're easy to please as long as you keep it funny. <laughs> I think it's the lesson here. I think it's true because even like Adam Sandler movies that hit like yeah. four jokes out of 12. Yeah. We're easy to please. So we are. We should just change our name. We're Mike, Mike, and Oscar. We're just low hanging fruit. The podcast. <laughs> Make me laugh and clap my hands. 
<laughs> Happily. Uh, guys, did you see Brave? Did you watch it when it came out? Was it part of your childhood? Was it part of your upbringing? Did you just see it for the first time in adulthood like I did? We want to know these thoughts and more. What did you think about this review? Any other of our Pixar reviews that we have or anything else we covered in the uh, Mike, Mike, and Oscar empire here? You can reach out to us. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram. MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar.com at gmail.com. And I read it. I get like trip over my thoughts sometimes because I'm just so on autopilot during this part of the show. But I just, I have to come back to reality. Like, you get your subconscious. It's like just in, only your subconscious. Like, remember that out? scene in The Office where, like, Michael was, like, he's driving and then he's like, oh my God! Behind the way, he's like, oh, I fell asleep for a second. <laughs> I just picture Lloyd. And I, I, I picture Lloyd and Dumb and Dumb just smacking his face like, yeah. It's like, oh man, I'm awake. All right. Uh, yeah, so those are our social medias and you could reach, see us or whatever, listen to us. It's a train wreck at this point. Speaking in tongues. Anywhere you get podcasts, tune in, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, etc., etc. Michael, what's coming up? What are some words of wisdom? What do we got to wrap this up? So we got an MMOW that we're planning to release on Sunday. Yes. Because Saturday we have the Cannes Film Festival uh, announcing its award winners. We're, we're going to record later on Saturday mm-hmm. so that we can cover that for you pretty quick. We know Monday's a holiday, so we're not going to release anything on Monday. We'll have something to you early next week. We think Tuesday. And we, we got Inside Out. We got uh, the finally that Cars rewatch coming. We got the good dinosaur. We got Coco. We got stuff to do yet with Pixar. Yeah. We got a big rewatch announcement that's very very well timed with the Cannes Film Festival. Yes, it is. That we'll have for you on Monday. And uh, we got Rocket Man. Rocket Man, we got another, we're covering the big Oscar movies, right? Yeah. We're not waste. you know, a lot of, a lot of the other pods, are, you got. You can go there for the movie of the week kind of thing. We'll get into that as the Oscar season comes up, but we're kind of staying on brand. If it's a movie event, if it's an Oscar movie, we're covering it. We'll have Rocket Man covered for you this week. Yeah, that said, you know, we, we're trying to, you know, last year we did a lot of the, the big movie ones, a lot of blockbusters. We'll probably keep that up, but it's as far as, like Mike said, we're trying to be Oscars-focused and Oscar-centric, and that's why we're leading this big lead-up to Toy Story 4 here. We're going to have another big lead-up to another likely Oscar contender that we're going to announce at MMO Weekly. Mike just gave you a preview of that. So that's the hope, and that's what we're doing here. We're trying to make award season year-round for you guys and replace all the stuffiness with hopefully a little bit of funniness. But, uh, you know, when reality sucks, like we say, uh, you can watch movies with us. Any final words, any parting words, any passing words here? Do they have to be of wisdom? No, they can just be words. These are wise, though. Be nice to your mothers, everybody. Yeah, that's nice. It's it's simple, right? Yeah. Because when she gets turned into a bear, she'll fight (laughs) off another bear and save her life. (laughs) And that's gospel. (laughs) We'll see you guys next time. See you.